What's happening, weirdos? This and every episode of You Made It Weird is brought to us by our friends at Charlotte's Web. Get yourself some calm CBD gummies. Go to charlottesweb.com slash weird and get 10% off your purchase with promo code KEEPITCRISPY19. We could all use some calm gummies. This is Phoebe Bridgers, who I am such a huge fan of. We we talk about how we connected, how excited I was when I saw we had a social media connection so I could reach out to her and see if she wanted to come on. And I was so thrilled when she wanted to. And I'm so excited to share it with you guys. Her uh, records, Stranger in the Alps and Punisher, are two of my all-time favorites. She's so incredible, so talented. And we get into all, all the good stuff, her process, her approach, and she's so funny and so charming. So let's get to it, as I always say, as quickly as possible. Uh, this show, if you guys are listening to it for the first time, if you're just big Phoebe heads and you just found the show, we don't do traditional ads. The show is supported by products that I absolutely really do use and really do love. And I'm so excited uh, to announce a new Pete's Pick. The show is always free. Uh, there's no paywall, there's no Patreon, nothing like that. But if you want to show us some love, uh, get some CBD from Charlotte's Web or support by trying our new Pete's Pick, uh, which makes a lot of sense given all the talk we uh, have on the show about embodiment, intimacy, sexuality, uh, getting over any sense of shame, having a healthy, beautiful sex life. I'm talking about Foria. Foria, did you know that according to research, men have 20 to 50% more orgasms as heterosexual women in partnered sexual encounters. 20 to 50%. 75% of women still experience painful sex at some point, And 80% of women experience painful menstruation. It doesn't have to be this way. Enter Foria. They are on a mission to close the pleasure gap. They are the first brand to create a com comprehensive product line addressing the sexual and pleasure needs of women. It includes CBD-enriched arousal oil, lubricant, and suppositories to help alleviate women's issues related to painful sex, menstrual cramps, and even postmenopausal issues. It's 100% plant-based. You know I love that. It's organic. Zero fragrances, no additives, no synthetics, no chemicals in you or on you. Val and I were first int introduced to it years ago when I did uh, Not Safe with Nikki Glaser. Their arousal, uh, the Awaken Arousal Oil was in the gift basket. We tried it. It blew our minds. <laughs> Obviously, uh, we talk about it on the show. Val and I have a wonderful and beautiful sex life. This is just a wonderful enhancement, taking it to the next level especially on her end. But for me, it was very connected, very embodied, very beautiful. An enhancement, a, uh, a plant ally. The Awaken Oil was specifically formulated with nine botanical extracts working with your body to support uh, taking the female pleasure to the next level, enhance arousal to access, uh, sorry, and access, arousal and access to orgasm, making great sex even better, and ease discomfort. Supportive and soothing pain during sex, which can be so common. It's the best stuff we've found, and they have a commitment to clean ingredients, organic and regenerative farming, sex ed, and responsible packaging. This is the real stuff. This is the good stuff, the best stuff we've found. It's amazing, and it's not some edible cinnamon lube you get at a rest stop sex shop. It's quality, wonderful stuff, and the company is so in line with this show and what we're about. So I'm so excited. If you want to show some support... Uh, for this wonderful show, and uh, for this, I'm calling it wonderful. I think it's wonderful. 
uh, Foria is offering a special offer for You Made It Weird listeners. 20% off your first order by going to foriawellness.com slash weird. 20% F-O-R-I-A wellness.com slash weird for 20% off your first order. All right, guys. That's it. Enjoy my chat, uh, our chat, Phoebe and I's chat. And uh, we'll see you on Friday with me and Val. In the meantime, enjoy the incredible Phoebe Bridgers. Get into it. Yo. Hi, Bridgers. Wow. Hot. Cycle passed immediately. Nice to that, meet you. That's what I meant. I'm going, I'm going in hot. That's why I said hot. Hot. Coming in hot. Right go. for Bridgers. Yes. How's it going? It's going great. Um, closing those. Audio quality. <laughs> um, it's going great. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. I'm stoked. I'm glad. Uh, we're recording if that's okay. I don't know if yeah. you've ever listened to the show. One of the jokes is that no one ever knows that we've started, and that's always, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bad I feeling. That. I appreciate that. Yes, I don't want to invade. Um, we were just talking about Unsolved Mysteries. Have you watched it? You know, I haven't. Um, well, I started it, but I want them to be solved. Like, that's, what I, that's my main beef with Unsolved Mysteries. <laughs> Let me know when they're solved. Yeah, just like, I don't care if you think it was this thing. Like, I want to know what happened. <laughs> you don't even want a mystery. If a mystery is solved, you just want a show called Information. Uh, yeah, I want, <laughs> I want a mysterious information show. <laughs> or information about mysterious things. Yeah. I know it's sensitive because it's real life people. But I get that feeling, I get that frustration listening to any unresolved ongoing case. Like if it's a docuseries or a podcast, I'm just like, and it just ends? And the trial's in six months? Like it gives me, if I want that feeling of frustration, I have life. Life totally. is unresolved and unsolved. Totally. Solve yeah. it. Solve it. Solve it all. Seinfeld voice. You gotta solve it. Right. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you on. I, 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 sometimes I forget to say this up top, but we, meaning Val and I, we, she introduced me to you and we've been listening to you so much. I'm just such a huge fan and that's 100% real. And how does that feel? When people give me compliments, I sometimes grade the compliment. <laughs> yeah, that, that feels good and solid. Um, it's fun to be mutual, mutual fans of each oh, other. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I, uh, yeah, I'm a big podcast nerd. Um, my boys over at Reply All love your podcast too. Oh, that's um, great. So, so yeah, it, that that always feels sweet when you get to kind of like mutually bro out. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, I was curious why you were responsive to doing it. It sounds like a, a brag, but I went onto Twitter to follow you to just like sort of start like randomly tweeting at you, like just cold calling basically. <laughs> and when I saw you followed me, I was like, oh, she must be a comedy person. So that I thought that would be like a good, I really don't want to ask you about anything you're tired of talking about. So I felt like it's probably safe that you don't get asked about comedy a lot. What, what's your relationship to comedy? Well, my mom, when she divorced my dad, decided that she wanted to do stand-up comedy. No way! <laughs> that was what, like, it definitely, yeah, she got a divorce, like, really late. She had gotten divorced when I was a child. But um, they, 
Yeah, she like has. I, I just Phoebe. I just take my pen out to write divorce. Yes, divorce and big love. <laughs> <laughs> I just immediately was like, oh well, it seems like we'll have to dig into that. We absolutely love don't. divorce, but um, it's interesting. Please keep going. Yeah, so she so she got kind of like into the LA comedy scene, which is really wild. Like, I took a really oh motorcyclist. I took a really screenshot <laughs> of her. Um, she she just texted me like out of the blue, you're on the list, and it's just oh. a funny text to get from your mom. My um, God. But she does cool stuff. Like she does this. I, does this person just love this street? This motorcyclist um, more than three laps. That's a dragon. Yeah. 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 So so she um she does this show called Uncabaret um in LA that I really love and I've like met tons of people like Wait, that. your mom is Beth? No, my mom's Beth's like best friend. <laughs> oh, okay, cuz I I did Uncabaret. Oh, many yeah. I, I sort of sometimes I don't know if you ever get this feeling in your career that you like missed a lot of boats. Like when I got to New York, all I heard about was like, there's a show called Eating It at Luna Lounge that they were like, oh, it just closed. Uh, and then I got to LA and they were like, Uncabaret is like the thing. So like that's, that was a very popular show. She started it or that was her? Oh, she, she That was like her way in. I think she took oh, like okay. Beth's comedy class. And then now she like works the door and will like be on the show every once in a while with like really cool people. Um that's yeah, I love comedy. It's just like pure joy for me. Although I don't get the same dude. <laughs> you know, when I was shooting uh, a TV show, one of the, uh, the, I don't know, production people told me that sometimes people would rev their motorcycles so you'd pay them to stop. My so- <laughs> father did that with a chainsaw. No, he didn't. Yes. Yeah, because he... <laughs> He used to be a like general foreman on like movie sets, and he like had the bright idea to just like find a movie set and do it. I don't know if it worked out for him, but I don't. I hate spreading this kind of info, but from what I understand, it's probably an easy way to make a quick fifty bucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I mean, I would never. I gave someone a polite toot of the horn on the way here. I waited a full three seconds. The light had turned green. I really waited. I, I, I don't know why it's so important for me that you understand that I waited. And I'm going to be guilty about it the rest of the day. Yeah, there's nothing more frustrating than someone who is an easy honker, you know? Or someone that honks for you. has always yeah. Like, who's, who is this person giving me car? I, I'm, I'm not making light of Tourette's. I'm just saying that must be what it's like to have a disease where you can't control a sound because someone's honking and I want to be like, it was him. It was him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hate that. A quick honker. Yeah. Whenever I talk to a musician, I'm like, which is what people do to me, but I'm like, Oh, maybe quick honker. That's, that's a good uh, character description in one. <laughs> <laughs> See, I love, um, I love when my friends who aren't musicians make music metaphors as if like, that's the only way I could understand things. It's, I, it's amazing. It's also like a, such a character. Like if you pretend to not get anything until it's like, let's say you're in a band. You know? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Maybe I was talking to Joe, you know, Joey Ryan, the milk carton kids. Oh yeah, totally. 
I was talking to Joey and I said to him, I was like, Joey, you have to believe me. I would be saying this if you weren't a musician, but it's like someone's just started playing the bass and it sounded really good. And then we recorded it. And it was so stupid. It was, but I am, I can't help it. I feel like there's two me's. There's the Pete that is, and then there's me over here. So mm-hmm. I'm fully aware. I'm working on him, but I'm like, he is that sweaty ham that I have to be like, don't try to tie this back to music for Phoebe. And I just did it. <laughs> don't. Well, you know, Matt Berninger, when I hang out with him, I'm biting my tongue the whole time because he'll say something. And I'm sort of like an enthusiastic person and I'm a huge national fan and I'm a huge fan of yours. So if they say something poetic, I always want to be like, you're not going to, you're not going to. I do the same thing with Mulaney. I do it with all the comedian friends and they're usually grateful. Musicians, it's a different breed. I feel like it's too personal. What, what do you feel? I don't know. I, I think some, sometimes that's how I come up with my best lyrics is someone's like, oh, you should, you should write a song about that or you should do this. And my initial response is like, what do you know? And then I've totally done that. I've totally um, done it. Yeah. I feel like I, Matt says something poetic every like 45 seconds. It's really annoying. That's how he talks. It's, it's the same with, with Mulaney. Mulaney just talks in the rhythm and the cadence of, of comedy. And he, he, he came, I, I always reference this, but he came over to my house once and he just did 10 minutes on how annoying it must be for my dog when people come over. <laughs> and it was one of the funny, Val and I still reference it as if it was a bit, things that he said. <laughs> That's amazing. And Matt is the same way. Yeah. But I'm with you, like some, sometimes, I think I just had to like get a little more humble. When you're young, I think it's really important that you're like, I did this and you have to like really forge it yourself. And then later, like around now, if someone's like, you should do a bit about that, I'm like, I'm so quick to write it down because they've been right so many times. Totally. I do think it's interesting. I wonder if you have a lot of comedian fans because there's something like I wanted to ask you about like you might get pegged as like, well, I was going to start with this, actually. You're quite funny. I think your lyrics are funny. I don't know if you intend them to be funny, so I won't give you examples, but a lot of them make me laugh. No, they're definitely supposed to be funny. I feel like my apathetic voice helps me like I grew up around a lot of like Mark Kozlik um I love and and Matt like Matt mm-hmm. has funny lyrics but he has such a sad voice you don't a lot of people don't pick it up oh um, no I, I have the same feeling about the national I'm like that's a funny joke totally. and you know what you did did you listen to Elvi the yeah. Matt's uh it was a side project called Elvi E-L-V-Y it's impossible <laughs> to ask Alexa to play it <laughs> <laughs> how many um bands has that dude been in he's so prolific <laughs> it's and it's and his solo record is really 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 I great. love it so much it's so oh, I'm, it's I'm, it's been on constant repeat but you see you're getting a sense of my taste it's you I, you remind me of um i hope you don't get this too much but i love elliot smith as well well yeah that's that's a deep like it's such a deep reference for me that it doesn't yeah, I don't really get offended when people compare me to people unless it's like another blonde singer-songwriter that sounds nothing like me, where I'm like, right. what are you talking about? Um, but right. the other comparison rules because that's where most of my music taste came from. But sure. you see, it's helping. This is going to sound very um, like a, a over-inflated compliment or something, but I really mean it. When I found your stuff, it helped me with the loss because I was like, it's 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 going on. It's continuing. Like he, he inspired you, it seemed. And I was like, and now we 
it's very abstract, but it's like kind of one of the ways of getting new Elliott music, even though it's not exact. I'm not saying you're like, oh, this could have been an Elliott <laughs> music uh, song. I'm saying it's it's the continuation. So it sort of helped heal that for me. Yeah, sure. It it helps me to like talk about it and connect with people who love it and feel the same way. It's it's great. I feel like I I, I always am curious like what he would have done. I wonder if he would have gone like jam bandy, mm. like towards like basement on a hill um, or, uh, or like softer, who knows? I have no idea. Well, the, the specific Elliot that you remind me of is the self-titled record, totally. which is, which is my favorite one. I'm sorry. I'm just going to have to butter your bread a little bit here. That's <laughs> your song. Um, open heart, open container. Sorry. I don't know the name yeah. of it. Okay, yes, one of my favorites. It reminds me of um, my favorite Elliott Smith song, which is St. I to Heaven. Oh, for sure. Not not in the sound. I don't mean sonically. I'm just like this. Yeah. Oh, my God, this is bringing me back to that record. So that that is, I feel like that's a very high compliment because I think that record is incredible. And I think you're incredible. And we're, and we're just talking about how incredible you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's happening. But what I was going to say was your lyrics are funny. I'm glad to know that. Oh, and Elvi is Matt. The reason I mentioned Elvi is he's like going for it more. It's like <laughs> the first line on the album is I, str- I scratched a ticket with a leg of a cricket and I got triple Jesus. <laughs> I'm just like, that's, <laughs> that's an insanely funny, like little one liner. And you have that same quality, but your music is sad, right? I mean, let, let's speak in generalities here. I was saying you must get pegged as like, sort of like, like Elliot, like a sad songwriter. And then I'm like, but comedians that I know love that music. So it's not surprising to me that if you're have a clear channel to that side of you, that your joy and your silliness must be in full effect as well. That's a leading question, but I'd love to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I don't know. I think, um, I mean, there is something sad about a life in comedy right? Like, obviously, like, it's just like, kind of like last American cowboy stuff, where people think, people think that it's like glamorous or whatever. But like, you have to kind of hide your same with musicians. Even if you make sad music, you kind of have to hide your depression, because especially if you have success, they're like, Oh, you're a spoiled brat, if you don't like it, or whatever. I feel like it's they are kind of like similar worlds to me. And there's nothing funnier than trauma. So it's like, there's a root of some horrific thing that you're, you know, like my mom is so dark in her comedy and it's so funny, but it's from real stuff, you know? That's really interesting. Was she sort of an example for you in that way? Were you seeing that before you started being a professional musician? Like, oh, mom is alchemizing her suffering into this creativity? Totally. Well, she, she... Like I grew up with people being like, "Why doesn't your mom do comedy?" And she she seemed to be annoyed with that question. And then and then when I was whatever like twenty one, she like started doing it, which is so cool. Um, but <laughs> I, can't also- be- I can't believe you thought it was cool. You must be close with your mom, or she must be a pretty groovy lady. Definitely. If you were you were okay with it. Yeah, I was. I I don't t- I don't really drink very often. And the first time I ever saw her. She was playing comp or playing. Listen to me. Um, <laughs> she was she was doing a show at the comedy store, and I got wasted. I was so nervous. 
like wasted. Oh, for her. I was so nervous for her and like if it was going to be bad and because I actually when I met my drummer um Marshall who who I like write but pretty much everything with he's like mm. my person even if I finish something by myself I feel like it's not finished until I show him mm. but when we met I really liked him I thought he was really funny as a person and he was like I want to show you a song I wrote and I was like please don't do that I I don't want to have to like lie to you about if your art is good or not like it's going to taint our relationship so having someone that you have a relationship with already start a new creative project yeah is horrifying totally she she killed she was so funny she did killed she killed she throws me under the bus a lot but um yeah she's really funny what is her name jamie bridgers jamie bridgers (laughs) i gotta keep an eye out for it i love it Ah, that is makes me so happy. Were you guys like mother, sister, friends? Like, was it almost like it blurred the line? Yeah, we had like I was a I was a brat teenager, and she was obviously like going through so much stuff when I was a kid. So we became real close when I moved out. I think that's true of like everybody. If I lived with my best friends, I would hate them. Like my guitarist, I know this from staying at his house in Nashville before he moved to LA we would stay together and he would stack toilet paper rolls, empty toilet paper rolls on top of each other. Like I can't have a close relationship with someone I live with. Um, but yeah, she, she p- people, when they hear us talk or like, you guys are exactly the same. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of my, like my um, like dark humor and stuff comes from her for sure. It makes me so happy. I have a daughter and I know Val, we sometimes worry about that mother daughter dynamic. Like I think the cliche is that they might hate each other at some point. I don't know where I'm getting that, but it seems, right? You've heard that. Yeah, we hated each other for years. Like, it was very tumultuous and brutal, but um, I think that all things go through phases, you know? Mm, Like, mm. kind of have to, like, ride it out. Um, I think there's stuff that we probably would have taken back or done different, but she, she also, like, she'd wait outside the smell in downtown for me to like be done playing. Um, wow. Yeah. She was super committed. She, she would like, wait, that was a good story. That wasn't like, she didn't know where you were. It's because she was supporting you. It was, it was because she, she wanted to be there for me and not but want she, me to get a car home with like strangers. And she, she, she tells a story of going to like the Denny's uh, nearby and then being like the usual at like 1am because they're <laughs> used to her like waiting up for me to be done playing. So and, uh, She wouldn't go in too, right? I mean, that's considered very, it's, a, it's, it's like way, way worse than your mom picking up from school is your mom picking up from like the punk rock show. <laughs> <laughs> but she, what was, what do you mean when you say you were a bratty teen? That's interesting to me. What was the source of that? Well, I, I was such a bratty teen. Oh my God. Like I hated school. Um, I was over medicated. Uh, I was on like Dexedrine, which is some like meth from the seventies. Like nobody mm. does that anymore. Um, but it was, prescribed I was going to say it was prescribed. Yeah. Yeah. It was prescribed for, to me for ADD and I didn't, I don't have ADD. I just like, I mean, I'm sure I have ADD, but if I find things that I love, I don't notice at all. It's only if I have to do like algebra. Um, so I just didn't want to go to school. I didn't know what I like, not that I didn't know what I wanted to do, but you can't just be like, mom, like, let me drop out and be a musician. Um, so she was kind of like pushing me in school. Um, and, 
yeah, I, I just, I was such a bratty teen. Mm. But you knew, it must have been somewhat, I mean, not somewhat. It's funny, I'm catching myself catching all of us, I think, not thinking of uh, teenagers as, as people, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, I'm like, wow, imagine if you knew that you wanted to be a musician and someone was like really cock-blocking that and stopping you from following it. But then it had to have felt just like it, it did feel, like you must have felt really trapped. I think it's really interesting that you didn't have ADD or, or maybe you did. We don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a concept I, I'm not even that familiar with. But it's like I, I, I often say like with all the energy drinks, I'm like, you're not tired, you're bored. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like totally. if, a, if a tiger started chasing you, like you'd put down the Red Bull. Like it's just our lives are so monotonous. Yeah. Well, quarantine has kind of has really solidified that for me where I'm like exhausted all day. And then, but I get into this weird addictive like tour brain where I'm like a robot who can, is like very, very high functioning. I feel like mm. I do so many more things when I have to squeeze it into a busy schedule than I do when I have like nothing to do. I totally understand uh, that, that. That's something my dad actually said to me. He asked me to do something for him. And I was like, I'm so busy. Why are you asking? He's like, I always ask the busiest person, you know, Peter. He was like, he was like you don't want to ask the person that's just twiddling their thumbs because they won't do it. You want that like Tony Robbins energy. That's like, I got, I got 15 minutes at 3 PM. Like, cause they will do it. Cause they're in the pattern totally. of doing it. But I know what you mean. Being on the road where you just get so lean, like a coyote. Like yeah. checking into a hotel and all that, and even making sure you eat before a show. But take me, take me to what it was like. When did you know you wanted? When did you start writing songs? I'm sure you've answered that before, but I'd love to hear it. I started writing songs when I was like 12 that were pretty bad. Mm. And then I remember, like, the first song I remember liking actually and being proud of, I was like 14. Um, and then this weird thing happens where it, when you're a kid, I think where every new song is like an excuse to drop off the one on the other end. Like as I get older, I realize that's just from being a teenager and I'm proud of, you know, songs that I wrote kind of in my late teens, but mm. it, you get into a pattern or like I, I was imitating a lot of songwriters instead of having my own ideas. It's the same exact thing. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just couldn't be more excited. That's exactly what comedy is. And that's why it sucks that everything can be put up on YouTube. It's like, guys, 10 years of incubation. If you saw the footage of me or Kumail or any of us doing stand-up in the first 10 years, it's not, it's not a, a whiff of your influences. It's like a full-on impression. Totally. And I'm so glad that doesn't exist. So I'm just so with you. So that would, yeah. that's what was happening? They do exist. Like, that's the worst <laughs> part of my generation, I think, is we we have YouTube, we have MySpace, we have all this, like, and people keep digging it up. And because uh, people have that, like, bootleg desire to, like, find something. And you're like, no, I actively tried to bury this. It's not like something. <laughs> yeah. It's like my deep, deep shame. Because also it's not cool bootlegs. It's not like Elliot E four track. It's like auto tune and garage band on some kid's computer. Like, mm. like we, I, I moved backwards in technology. It's like I, I moved towards people who could restrain themselves from using every single tool, you know? That's interesting. 
Yeah. That's sort of how I know a lot of standups feel that way. Kind of, it's not ironically, but I'm going to say ironically in the way that everybody says ironically wrong. <laughs> ironically, that's how a lot of comedians feel about bringing anything else into their act, whether it be props, obviously gets a lot of hate, music, a guitar. It's because that's sort of, I've never thought of it this way, but that's sort of our auto tune. Some people do it to brilliant effect. I don't even consider like the Concords or any of these, or even Zach, who I know you were in his movie. There's ways to do music brilliantly, but it can be, it just like anything, it can be misused. And I, I think it's interesting that you sort of started sort of with puppets and then you were like, wait, maybe I can just come out as, as I call you Bridgers. I mean, that's, that's what I've always known. <laughs> <much>. <laughs> that's sick. So that stuff exists. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I don't know. I think that there are people, it's a weird hill to die on that you never use any of the tools, like people who only record to tape. A lot of those records are amazing. Like Gillian Welch and Dave Rawlings only record to tape. Hmm. That's, sweet if that's your thing but but if you turn your nose up at synthesizers it's like dude like you should be able to use everything it just it really just matters if it's good or not completely agree you know i'm so glad you said that because i don't want to become it's tempting to become the person that that is hack police for topics for material and then like so often like like a great song can just be about a heartbreak or whatever. Like it's okay. Like meaning a great bit can be about airline food. It's totally possible. <laughs> In fact, it's probably likely that you'll, that you'll yeah. find a new way to polish off a trope. I, I remember on, I believe it was Nevermind. Kurt Cobain was really against doubling his vocals. And then they talked him into it because John Lennon did it. I don't know if you heard that story. And so I was like, even never mind, even like such a consummate punk or what pop punk, whatever you want to call it, alternative album, use some of those tricks and you'd be dumb not to. It'd be really dumb not to. Doubling is awesome. Like it keeps it from being perfect to me. Like mm. obviously you can make a perfect double, but what's so cool about Elliot is it just sounds, it sounds more demo-y because he's doubled the entire time. Yeah. Um, it takes a lot of the like, sincere sweetness out of my voice which i really like i want i want kind of like a dry delivery of things i love doubling i think that's really interesting that of of course you're aware the dryness and the delivery these are things that are sort of my world it's like an actor would want to be very conscious of their dryness and their delivery but there are lines that this, this may be silly. I remember Sarah McLaughlin saying in an interview that she was like, lyrics, if you look at them and they're not with the music, sometimes just look like bad poetry. So there's like this risk that if the delivery and the music and levels, like how dry am I? How sincere am I? If you think of a bad song, isn't it probably that it's a little too naked and like, and that's, you know, I don't want to do it, but like something too... Ugh, and sincere and not dry and no control over how it's coming across. Yeah, for sure. There was a hard times. Uh, you, do you read the hard times? Mm-mm. Oh my God. It's the best. It's like the onion. But for Oh me. no, I see that. I see those. Oh good. But they had one that was like acoustic cover really shines light on horrible lyrics. It's like, <laughs> yeah, they're like great songs that are hiding behind um, shitty production. And there are, shitty songs hiding behind great production for sure. 
I think that's so interesting. And Val is a singer and she's beautiful and wonderful. And we've had conversations about choosing your voice. I always go to Ryan Gosling. Ryan Gosling, I think is from Canada. Ryan Gosling has said in interviews, I find this fascinating, that he's just doing a young Marlon Brando. And he doesn't mean in movies, he means in life. Right. But if you take into consideration that everything is fake, every way of speaking is learned, he just was like, look, I want to be a cool movie star. And I'm going to start talking like the coolest movie star. And then when I've talked to other musicians, they've been like totally open about being like, yeah, I heard that. The way you round a sound, the way you are dry, the way you you might be bright. It's the exact same thing in comedy. And what I'm trying to have people listen in on is like, that's normal. It's not embarrassing. You let it all in and eventually you'll look like yourself. Was that your experience? Totally. Well, I think I came at it from a weird angle because I don't think I have a vocal affectation. But when you learn, you are trying to copy something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm like, I don't, I'm not like a rules guy typically, but I have like a very strong aversion to like certain vocal affectations, especially white girls singing Ooh. like soulful Um <laughs> It's like, excuse me, like you don't speak like that. Like fake accents really bother me. Um, unless it's Gillian Welsh, who's from the Valley and mm-hmm. sounds like she's from the Delta. Like it's, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Like it basically it just comes down to like, is it good or not? Like Billie Eilish, she sounds like me when she talks. Um, and then she has this like lilting, whispery, like sensual voice. Um, yeah, I just think like, do you like it? or not is it mm. is it overly effective like they're they're affected there are so many examples of like you know like the rob thomas whatever like thing and then everybody was like oh i'm gonna sound like that right it's so funny which is a little boy britney actually it's got some of that like like it has that we for a time as a people agreed that that was nuanced and gritty yeah. isn't that funny yeah. like that was <laughs> or like Creed and Nickelback, like, but for every one of them, the Fall Guys, for us to now laugh at, which is so fun. I'm not saying don't call them, make them Fall Guys, <laughs> was us loving it. That's why I'm always like, don't forget, we loved Nickelback. Like, we loved it. Like, not not everybody. I'm just saying, like, everybody acts like it was just them. There were millions and millions and millions of sales. You know what I mean? Like, so still are. Exactly. So fashion sort of changes. And then sometimes if you make a big swing, so it's, again, there's a comedy parallel there, which is like, if you are sort of affected, it it can seem really weird. Like I know people that go up and definitely have more of their regional accent kicks in when they're on stage. I certainly kick the levels on certain things that I think are funny up on stage. Um, when I'm in Boston, I just do my act in a Boston accent and no one seems to care or notice. And, and, they, and, they, and they love it. And they just seem to like, this guy's one of us. Um, but what you made me think of, what was your example of the super affected, but it totally works? Um, oh, Gillian Walsh? Yes, Gillian Walsh. Perfect example. That's sort of like, and this might sound silly, uh, Stephen Wright. Stephen Wright is really like that. But like, if you make a really big swing, somehow it takes the stank off the idea that most audience people don't even think that there are swings. Swings are being made. Totally. There's little swings and big swings. Yes. 
Some swings were made. <laughs> Solve the mystery, make some swings. <laughs> I'm in the mood. So I heard you say, going back to your mom, that she was, and you said that she was waiting for you at the shows and stuff. She was almost too supportive. This is, I'm just really interested in that. Like you've done something truly extraordinary and, and a lot of the people I've talked to, and I'm always interested. You went from being in high school, hating algebra, wanting to be a musician. You just couldn't tell the story slow enough. I, I I'm just so interested. And I think a lot of people are, in like the steps, including things like support from my mom. I'm not looking for like a golden ticket. Just help me understand. Yeah. There's still some mystique for me with comedy. I'm like, I think I kind of get it a little bit, but with music, I'm, I'm kind of in the dark. So I'm very interested is all I'm saying. Well, I think I was overconfident before I was good. And that I was- love what- <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I didn't realize that I should have a backup plan. I didn't realize that like normal people when they're in my, you know, socioeconomic class, they graduate high school or they don't graduate high school. And then they immediately work at Starbucks. Like, I think I had this like hubris of like, that'll never be me. And it was me. Like it was very nearly, you know, just like low level service jobs um, that I would have been horrible at. Um, because I'm like extremely self-centered, uh, like so self-centered. Um, I'm, I'm so embarrassed for like who I was when I was a kid. I was like, um, you know, she was going through it too, but what is that? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go. I was going to say, I, I would, I would be at like guitar center trying out a guitar and just like singing full voice, like in the store, like hoping, like hoping someone would be like, Hey, like. You, You're the you, best. That's yeah. Scott Avett. You made it. Oh, really? Have you? Did you watch the Avett Brothers documentary? Didn't. His is even, if that's bad, then his is even worse. I think that's great. So his is even better. He thought that they would be rehearsing and literally someone from LA would be walking by. <laughs> and totally. Phoebe, mine was when I was a little kid, I thought watching plays, my parents would take me to a play and the whole time before it started, I was waiting for them to come over the PA and be like, is there a little boy who can be in the play? Yeah. <laughs> like, Dude. So it, it seems to be a, a requirement. I saw Kelly Clarkson when I was like 10. My mom took me to see Kelly Clarkson, Jason Mraz opened. And mm. I was convinced she was going to like point at me in the crowd and be like, you want to take this one? <laughs> which is the movie Rockstar, yeah. which has it happened? Because since I've had that fantasy, I've been in situations where something goes wrong technically, and they're literally looking for a comedian. Dude, it, <laughs> it happened with Mark Koslick. It happened. I was at a Mark Koslick show at the Regent in LA way before my record came out. I hadn't even recorded that cover yet. And, um, on that came out on my first record Mm. and I was like, I was in the audience and, um, like kind of slowly creeping up to the front and, but, and I had shouted a request like five songs ago or whatever. And he did two encores. He's famous for like three hour long shows. (laughs) And so it's at the end, the last song of his second encore. And he must've like remembered me screaming something. And he was like, they start playing a song and then he's like, Whoa, 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 wait, what do you want to hear? 
to me. And I said that you missed my heart song. It's on my first record. And um, he starts singing it. It's pretty clear he's forgetting the words. And I can't. Uh, I can't. Panics, <laughs> look, panics, looks at me, like grabs me on stage. And we like sing the whole end of it together. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then we became friends after I put the cover out. And uh, we like got lunch in San Francisco or whatever. And, um, and he had no idea it was me. Like he had not. He did not connect the dots. Oh my God. This is the movie Rockstar with Mark yeah. Wahlberg. <laughs> I, I'm so glad you told that. And I, I love that. I've had that happen. I'm, I'm also fortunate enough to have had some memorable experience with somebody. Then years later, you're working with them and you're like, uh, by the way, blah, 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 blah. But I mean, like, isn't it good to stay in touch with that part of us that that was like young and wasn't afraid and just sort of I don't want to sound all LA and new agey but sort of like just kind of guilelessly manifesting I'm all about the manifesting it's happened so like my life is curated for 17 year old me exactly like I don't work with people who I didn't dream of working with Mm. I really don't like that I live a very lucky life, but I, I live, I live a weirdly specifically lucky life to myself and my own preferences. Like the people who hit me up to work on stuff or to play shows or whatever. I'm like, Oh, like this one too. What? Yeah. 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 It's so cool. I, I was thinking that just, I think it was yesterday. I was having a moment of gratitude. So anyone listening, please don't think this is us bragging, but I was like, <laughs> But I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I I did pitch a movie to Steve Carell and I was like, this is insane. Yeah. Because the kid on the plane who is many years out from ever having any reason to say anything to Steve Carell was like later, you know what I mean? And I think that, matters do you sort of watch your let's just dive in let's be weird do you watch your frequency are you careful not to be too black in your heart like have a black heart and a nastiness i mean uh when it comes to your optimism i try to watch what i say i feel like i'm vocally pessimistic because i'm afraid people are going to judge me for how optimistic i am Mm -hmm. you know in in my adult life i you know i i was a overconfident teenager um, but I do a lot of apologizing for myself. I'm actually kind of trying to like meet in the middle somewhere. And, mm-hmm. uh, like I remember being at, this is such a weird thing, but at like a bar and seeing Josh Tillman, father John Misty and being like having that same thought where I was like, I don't want to be the one who comes up to him now. I'm going to come up to him when we're peers. That's it. And the opposite happened where I was playing a festival, a BBC festival in Belfast and um walked by him as if i wasn't as if i wasn't a fan like pretending not to know who he was and he chased after me and was like phoebe get like, the fuck get the fuck you're making a record at like this house like i forget that you can just know people too you know what i mean like we'd met we'd sh- sh- like i sh- shook his hand at some other bar again but was like so afraid of punishing him that i was like pretending like that had never happened it's so funny that is what I find most, I think what people may, what I'm worried people are going to take from these stories is the punchline is the, and then he chased me down. 
what I find the most significant, because I, w- I, I was remembering when I was a Puritan, so I was a reenactor in Salem, Massachusetts with high knee socks and an yeah. overcoat, and I had to pretend it was 1692. I'm handing out flyers for this uh, fake witch trial, and there was a buzz. I know, you're right to laugh. There was a buzz about old Salem Village. It was actually Salem. But um, that Dennis Leary and his family were around and everybody knew I was trying to be a comedian and they were like, you got to go find him. I like shirked my duties. So I wouldn't run into him. It wasn't that I was afraid. I was like, I do not want to meet Dennis Leary now. And this is the part that that's the most important part to me is there's a reverence for the craft mixed with a belief in yourself and an understanding that life is long and a self-love that you're like, if I don't believe in this, who is Dennis Leary later? And I'm happy to say it was like 20 years later. So tell that to anybody that thinks we're just being like insane. I was like, yeah, what we're saying can be true if you're willing. And I was to say like, you can meet him in 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I would have been like, great. <laughs> that, that works for me because I have nothing on the books except fucking pursuing this one thing relentlessly. That's all I want to do. So then I, you, you can have your leery if you give me 20 years. <laughs> I literally ran away from Patty Smith this year. <laughs> I saw her, we were playing the same show. I saw her and ran like even at this point in my life where I'm playing shows with people, I mm-hmm. still run away and I'm like, no, I want to be at like a dinner and put this up. Like I was terrified to meet like Joni Mitchell. Mm. Um, you love Joni Mitchell. Sorry, yeah. that was <laughs> <laughs> that was a forced love. Actually, Joni, you love Joni oh, Mitchell. Great. <laughs> Full title of that movie is "Love Actually Is All Around Us." Get out of here! Yeah, that's like yeah. the Fiona Apple album where it's actually you know there's an ellipses and it's like the longest title in the world. Oh, I don't know that. Her second album is called I forget what it's called, but it's something like "Suddenly There," and, but it's actually "Suddenly There Was a Woman Standing at the Gate." Like it's like something <laughs> like "Love Actually Is All Around Us." Well, no, thank you. How much money would it take for you to cover Christmas is all around us? So come and let it snow from that movie. No money. (laughs) (laughs) I'd definitely do that. I do a Christmas song every year, ironically, or not ironically in the way that everybody says ironically. Fiona Apple was on my Christmas song this year. And so was Matt. I love it. Yeah, it was cool. I'm always telling Matt, we actually edited out, he did this podcast again, it hasn't come out yet. And I had Katie edit out me again saying, I want the National or Matt to cover what are you doing Christmas Eve, because uh, New Year's Eve, because I'm like, that. Would, it, I'm just like, it's perfect. Why won't you do this for me? <laughs> like, but that's my, you, that's why I brought it up. You agree. The- yeah. Well, I've been trying to get the National to cover Believe. Oh, Wow. I feel like it, I hear it in my head. Like it's my intrusive thought is a non-existent version of that. That's what I should have said because every Christmas I hear, what are you doing New Year's Eve? And I'm like, this is like, it's kind of a chunky, slow train of a song and it could be sexy. It could be good. It could be chill. It could be something you listen to year round, which is how I feel about your silent night, by the way. It's fucking gorgeous. And when it comes on, I don't go, it's not December. Like, 
<laughs> like I'm like, this is a beautiful song. Like, who cares? Oh, Phoebe, thank you. You've given me a great gift today <laughs> to validate that uh, that they should do that. And I think you're right. Believe is just, uh, you know, it's it's unexpected. It's a great it's a great cover. My head. When you do Tom Petty's, um, it'll all work out. I'm divorced. And when I got divorced, my brother was like, there's nothing anyone can say, but here's this song. Yeah. So when you do it, I was wondering what your relationship is to that song. Cause you could have picked so many amazing songs. And, and again, not that you're just a sad song person. He has a lot of great sad songs, but that's like sort of the atomic bomb of, of, of sad songs. I think that there's this sweet spot of sad songs where it's not wallowing. It's telling you information. You're sad for the character because the character either knows everything or nothing. Like he is not giving you any information that makes you believe that it's going to work out Mm. in the song. And then the chorus is it'll all work out. It's like, excuse me. Um, Oh, that's really interesting. I took that to mean it'll all work out in the way that life works out. No, that's what I mean. It's just like, he's like comforting himself with nothing. That's right. Which is another way of saying nothing. <laughs> like no, no comfort is coming. Life will continue to happen. And that's it your comfort. Continue to happen. Should but, be that, the <laughs> <laughs> but that's what you need to say to a divorced person, which yeah. is an odd comfort to give them. When I got divorced, my brother was also said to me, he was like, I love on The Sopranos, they always say, what are you going to do? And he was like, it's just acknowledging that something happened and that there's nothing you can do. <laughs> totally. Which is sort of, what, keep going about that song. I, I feel like I interrupted. Oh, no, not at all. I, I just feel like, uh, I don't know why I resonate with it, but a lot of my music taste, I'm like, my spirit animal is divorced or something because I really like, I live there. Like the national is one of my favorite bands. It's funny that that's such a happy relationship because I feel like it's the most divorced music I've ever heard. Val just said that to me. We were in the car because I was playing Serpentine Prison, which I constantly am. And she's like, she, I noticed that she was really listening to the words, which is no surprise because that's, it's the same compliment for you. I like lyrics that if you give it the, the the valuable attention that it deserves, it rewards you more. It's the same with comedy. Like if you really listen, it's better. Uh, and if it's worth it, then then you will really listen. And she was just being really quiet. And I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm always just listening for little clues to how their marriage is. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and from what I know, even the times that I've been like, is that about Corinne? It, it almost never is. Or... Nobody else will be there. Or, or um, you sleep in night and day. How do you do it? You know that one? Mm-hmm. I was like, what is that about? And then I was like, it's about the band. It's, it's about, he's singing about the band. Yeah. Or it's Corinne wrote it. <laughs> or Corinne wrote it. Anytime or, some brutal lyric, I'm like, wow, that's so cool. Or they're just geniuses like script writers and storytellers. Yeah. Like, I don't know if Bob Dylan was burdened with like, do you really think your ex-wife is in Tangiers? Like, I, I think people yeah. were like comfortable that he was a storyteller, but I'm, I'm confessing that I do that. I look for that meaning. I do that with your music, you know? Yeah. See, I feel like I'm getting off on like a technicality that 
other, I know that this is true for other musicians where they're like astral projecting into somebody else's life or, or mild little life experiences combined. But I feel like all my lyrics are true and are not metaphorical. And like, you know, in other mm. interviews, maybe I'll get slack for this or whatever, but in other interviews, I'm like, oh, it's about like five different people, but I can pretty much pinpoint every single thing that a lyric is about. So that, so that's the exact way that I listen to music where I'm like, oh, what's this literally about? That's right. I think there's something to that. Like extreme, isn't that what you're praised for? Like extreme authenticity. And there's the one, I, I don't want to be alone anymore. Forgive me for not knowing the, the, the proper titles, uh-huh. but that is just like the most, this is what happened. Like, it feels like somebody like, sort of sleepily wrote down exactly they got out of their own way and they were like this is how i feel that every single time i write a song i go through that exact process where i'm like trying to kind of like poetically say something and then i get frustrated and i'm like what if i just say what happened Mm -hmm. that's every at least all my favorite songs happened like that which is such a weird it's so weird that i have to keep tricking myself into doing that i'm like what's true well, we're back to sort of what I was alluding to where there's you and then there's the you watching the you, right? Yeah. So in the way that I'm aware that I'm a buffoon. So not to get too uh, hippy-dippy before we're supposed to towards the end, but it's like that is the the practice is trying to learn how to trick your mind, right? Yeah. I, I, it, I've heard it was Swami Satchitananda who I've been reading. He's like the way that you feed a child is, is you go, oh, I don't want to eat, the child says. And you go, just have half. And you split it in half. And then the child eats half. And then you go get, feed it more. And then it notices that you've gone past the half. And it goes, I said I don't want to eat. And then you go, just have half. And you cut the, the remaining half in half. And he's like, this is how you feed a child. And, of course, he's, he's teaching you how to trick your own mind. And right. so, like, when you're sitting down to write, I wonder if there's almost an element of like, I'll give you what you think it is because I know it's going to cause us to stumble into what it really is. Does it feel like a negotiation? Every time, (laughs) every time. Also I'm realizing the, the realization of this year has been like, every time I pick up a guitar, I come up with something or I come up with something to delete later that is real. Like, I don't know why I have so much avoidance for it. And I've tricked myself into thinking like it's some magical thing that like happens. It's like, no, it's every time you pick up a guitar. Something I happens. love that. I'm working on a project with a couple people and I started getting that weird feeling that we were over noting it and we were going to kill it. And it yeah. was like that sort of thing where you just want to throw your hands up and be like, guys, it's going to die. And then I was like, Pete, stop. Like Phoebe, every time you pick up the guitar, I was like, creativity is abundant. Energy yeah. is abundant. Let's stop living in that depravity model where I'm like, stop, we can't. Because somebody was like, well, what if it's this? And it really changed the story. And I was like, no. But I was like, it's just an idea. Let's yeah. try, like, breathe it in and, and pick up a guitar without the burden of this better be great. And okay. I, I think is what I hear you saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, it's usually not great. Like, I don't know. I, I think also to stay creative, I need people around me who I can be embarrassing in front of. Like I want. That's it. Yeah. I just, I just want people who know that I will get there 
Um, because I, in the middle of it, don't feel like that. I'm like, well, I'm trash. I made my last good thing. It's over forever. Um, and so, yeah, I'm just, when I first meet people or I'm writing with someone I am really inspired by, it's like, I'm holding back my bad ideas mm-hmm. and like showing people your bad ideas is how you get into great collaborative space for sure. That's it. And that feeling of safety, that that's what I have with Val. I think Val gets the best comedy I'll ever do. And it's not because I'm performing, please. That, that would be a, a nightmare for both of us. I hate performing, but like when you feel comfortable talk about music and stuff, like just improvising a silly song in the safest place can have you tear rolling laughing. And that's what every creative collaboration should feel like. It's like, let's make it okay to creatively fart. (laughs) Like it's like, because anybody that knows Matt, everybody that we've mentioned knows that you write some pretty fucking terrible stuff before you even get close. But I'm glad you shared that because I, I do think you have many songs that, I regard as like perfect, right? So now you have some perfect songs. That's not to say you have imperfect songs, but I'm like, there's some that you're just like, it was like a small plate at a restaurant. You're like, wow. (laughs) (laughs) It was like every taste. And I, and I went down so perfectly, but if you help me out, I I feel like you're going to agree. If you sit down and try to write another um, emotional, what's that one called? Emotional motion sickness. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I feel like a dad today. I love that emotional motion sickness one, which by the way, is a funny line. I know it's a serious song. It's funny. Somebody roll the window down. If I said that, if I said on stage in between bits, I have emotional motion sickness, laugh. Somebody roll the window down. Am I right? I might say, am I right? Big laugh. So, you know, I just want you to know people, people are feeling you on different levels. and uh, Maybe they're not writing about in, I don't know if pitchfork's even a thing. Um, but so you can't go in with that expectation of writing another perfect song. If someone does say your song is perfect. No, you can't. I mean, no, it's, of course it's always your hope, but I, I think, I mean, I literally write the same song over and over and just kind of try to um, like hope that it'll end up different at some point. Like my songs change so much from point A to point B that the first kind of, crack at it has to be so low pressure mm-hmm. but also like i'm not i know a lot of songwriters who just write an entire song and then throw it away and i can't do that i'll spend i'll spend six months on the first three lines because i need to like get it going you know i totally hear that and i have the same sort of i don't want to call it exaggerated i'll call it aggravated confidence where if i write a joke in my first year of stand-up i'll bring it back 20 years later not out of spite, but just because I'm like, I'm, I'm good. That was a good joke. Like it needed some help, but like, I can't abandon things. If if I said something funny in conversation, I'll probably remember it. But that goes back to that sort of being in the audience and wanting to be pulled on stage. There's just like a natural proclivity to want to, I don't know. I was going to say shine. I guess that's sort of embarrassing, but like you want to, you want to show your stuff off. Well, I have a lyric like that actually in a song called Wasted that um, Marshall, my drummer, wrote forever ago and we were like changing the words um, for something. Like we just decided to kind of take another crack at the, this is folding in on itself a Mm. lot. Mm. 
it's this old song that was kind of abandoned and we were like, we should try that again. And we added a lyric about how embarrassing it is to want people to pay attention to you for your job. Um, <laughs> like it's so embarrassing to admit that. Um, and I think that's why a lot of people like a lot of hometowns are like that guy sold out or whatever. Cause it's embarrassing to admit that you're jealous of someone being on stage. Like how stupid is that? And coming to peace with, I don't want to say the whorish part of it, but people are always comparing the arts to prostitution because there's like a giving, right? We can agree that there's like a giving that most people, like this conversation we're having, we're like, hey, everybody come listen. Most people would be like, well, do it in the kitchen with the the windows closed, you know? So there is a giving of what most people uh, reserve for themselves. But I do see a correlation between the green light that some people give them to be like, no, you know what? I'm going to be Leon Bridges. I'm going to, I'm going to be big. Like I, I don't, I'm not upset with it. And that I wonder maybe shots fired, but if the punk rock don't sell out thing does come from a wounded place where it's like, because, because you can't let people see because we're, we don't, we don't value ourselves, which is very punk rock. (laughs) We live, we live deeply, deeply in such a, like capitalist society that it's like it's impossible not to pander to Spotify. It's like there's not nearly as much money as as there was in the nineties. Like if someone did a car commercial in the nineties, it's like they were over. Like that's the corniest thing ever. And now I feel like if a band gets car commercial, you're like, oh yes, they made money. <laughs> so cool. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just think it's such a it's just such a different world. Like the streaming world has made it impossible for like you can sell out and not make any money now. <laughs> yeah. What's worse than that? It's like a Greek oh, tragedy. Totally. You didn't even get the boon. Yeah. I'm wondering the, how, what is the turnaround on the process? If you have an experience like being, being feeling like you don't want to be alone or that you don't want to be stoned anymore, or there are all these little pictures you paint. Are we writing that in that state? Is it the next day? Is it a month later? Is it a year later? both because I have like on I'm sure yours are too like the notes in my phone are like a crazy person (laughs) Um, it's like really bad stuff like like really really embarrassing stuff like half written down dreams um (laughs) like literally like just an entire note that just says oat milk (laughs) I have have an oat milk bit bit working I'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) and then it's like and then another note that's like, I don't want to be alone anymore. Um, almost just like Twitter mentality. And then I'll sit down and, and like kind of be scrolling through um, okay. l- like later. But if I write too raw, like too soon into the feeling, then I end up with like something really corny. Um, I kind of have to be removed. Yeah. the I hope, boy, your the song is so powerful. We literally have had many moments like Elliot Smith used to love the Phil Collins song. Take a look at me now. He said he couldn't listen to it without crying. Um, and forgive me. I don't know the title, but the one about the funeral uh-huh. and it's there's funeral. what's that. It's just funeral. So it's called good. funeral. Wow. <laughs> I'm batting a thousand with my guesses. You are. Um, how, what, what was, I know that's a sensitive thing. It seems like, but like, what was the turnaround there? I mean, that's, that felt like it was written. It was written exactly in the moment. It took a while 
like all the stuff where I'm talking about what time it is, is real. Wow. Where I'm like, I'm staying at a funeral tomorrow. I was. And then, but then it went through so many, like, I, I remember showing it to people and uh, like the chorus being really bad. Like it took a while for the rest of it to kind of happen, but mm. there have been a couple moments like that in my life where I'm literally just saying what's happening in the moment and it ends up being cool. That's um, right. Yeah. I mean, that is the, I think that's a great example, no matter who I was talking to, to be like, oh, sometimes you just need to write what's happening. Yeah, totally. You know what I mean? like, great and, exercise. What's that? It's a great exercise, even if it's like no good. It's it's just like. But isn't that the job? I mean, like, could you talk a little bit? It's like your job for so much. I say this so many episodes, but Ted Danson uh, in between takes on some show was like, he goes, isn't acting embarrassing? And I was like, oh my God, I think that's what the job is. When when people branch umbrella, all of us under the same thing, which is artist, I think that's because every single one of us, comedian, painter, musician, writer, even a teacher, all different types of show business, their job is to get over that it's embarrassing to say, all right, class, like that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to be like, I'm supposed to sing at a funeral tomorrow. It's like, who the fuck am I to write a song? Like, that's your job to push through yeah. that membrane. Yeah. My um, a friend who passed away last year named Gary Burden, who did all like Neil Young's album art, he's the fucking coolest. Mm. He was, I was leaving his house once and he, he was like, oh, wait, hold on. Like, I'll bring you a joint. And I don't really smoke weed, but I think Gary's awesome. So I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> he goes back, like I'm waiting outside. He goes back inside. He's in there for five minutes and he comes back out with no joint with like his hand in his pockets, just like nodding his head. And I was like, what about the, and he's like, Oh, and like went back inside to get it. Like totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what were you doing in there? <laughs> like, why yeah. did you go inside and come back? <laughs> I love it. Um, but he, uh, when he passed away, my friend, um, who's in a band called the, my friend Christmas is his nickname, who's in a band called the Police Brothers, told the best story about Gary ever that they were at this photography show that Gary was in. And obviously he's like, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash, like like so many album covers that you know and love mm. were Gary's. Um, and he's at this photography show and he comes up behind Christmas when he's looking at this photo and Gary goes, you know what I hate about photography? And Christmas is like, what? And he's like, it's so fucking stupid. Wow. <laughs> I love that. That's it. That's it. So but isn't photography, first of all, that's hilarious. I'm sorry. It just inspired me so much. I'm not laughing. Oh, photography is always, <laughs> I'm sorry. It didn't even occur to me that you're like, oh, she wants me to laugh. I'm just like, that's so perfect. That's how I laugh. That's so perfect. <laughs> But photography is the perfect art that everyone criticizes, meaning you point a machine at something and, and, it, and it snaps it. Of course, there's so much more to it. Songwriting has the same burden, like that I could do that feeling. You know sure. what I mean? Especially when it's good. It's so simple and, and lean that people get the miss. And, and forget about comedy. I've never met somebody. Well, I've met a lot of people that are like, you know who's funny? My cousin Jimmy. Like it's that thing where people resist, they don't want to get into art because they know that art is embarrassing. And that's what an artist seems to be, is someone who goes, 
No, photography is stupid. Yeah. And that's what I've devoted my life to because there's other stuff in there as well as embarrassment. I think my favorite thing about music and comedy and visual art is that there's something, I mean, it's definitely happened. I've been, I've fallen victim to it with visual art for sure, where you're standing in a room looking at a photo of like a grape on a table and you're like, why is everybody around me looking at this for longer than me? Do I like this? Am I supposed to like this? Like there's nothing I hate more than a band that does that. Cause I think, music kind of is more immediately effective. Like I, I know if I like it, you know, that's what's so cool is you just know if it brings you joy or misery or whatever. Like it's not about, um, you can't convince somebody. I mean, of course you can. I'm a big, I I loved that, um, fish podcast so much. Uh, where they're trying to tell people to like fish. So good. Um, yeah. yeah. But you, you can, I, I just like how immediate, it is and how it's but that's just- what makes it popular. That's why it's pop music. It's a frantic. Did you see the movie Laurel Canyon? No, I haven't yet. Although it, I, people have been like sending me stuff from it. Oh really? It might be too close to the bone because like it's gifts of crazy stuff. I feel like I've seen the entire movie in gifts, um, but I, I, it's on my watch list for sure. It's a good movie. It's a little painful, but your inner divorcee will like it because it's like kind of about keeping a relationship together. But there's a moment where Francis McDermott asks um, a normal person, meaning a non-music person, uh, what they think of a song. And she's like, I, I don't I don't know what's good. And he goes, of course you do. That's why it's popular. Yeah. <laughs> everybody knows like that's why it's popular like i mean classical or jazz might be a little have a harder entry point but like rock and pop these things are they'll get you one way or the other but you won't be ambiguous about it ideally totally that's really really cool um were you done with that thought did i feel like did i did i I cut into that thought? you're good (laughs) i think that's wonderful um, let's see. Oh, that's what, that's what it was. I'm sorry. I, I wrote something down on, I hate looking at my notes, but you, you meant here sometimes, I guess it's because I'm, I don't know. You do sing a lot. You, t- you said the thing about the joint and then there's stuff about drugs. Again, I feel like the sad person, you look for those clues in there. There's a reference to amphetamine and there's a reference to booze and there's a reference to weed just as a, as a person, like seeing you as a person and talking to you as a person, I'm just curious what your relationship is to vice and, and what that plays in your life. Well, I'm, I'm addicted to addicts. I feel like I have like so many addicts in my life. Um, it, other than my experience with ADD meds in high school, I was totally straight edge. Um, I've smoked weed probably like five times in my life. I hate it. Makes me feel like my thoughts are too loud. Um, I've always been jealous of the kind of addict brain taking over everybody. Like the, like I'm such an anxious person that the idea of like being really loud in a restaurant or like embarrassing everybody or just like disappearing, like Darren, who's on this uh, Zoom on mute. One, like I slept through a meeting ten minutes, and he was like, you know, it's the first time that that had ever happened, and we were joking about how 
weird it is that that's the first time that it had ever happened, but yeah, I don't want to put anybody out. I'm, um, I, and I'm, I'm jealous of the kind of like, just the like attitude where you only care about one thing. You know mm. what I mean? It's that's, so- I, I know Louis uh, is a flawed person and he had this great bit where he goes, I don't want to smoke weed because I don't want another thing. Totally. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay, that's a small plate perfection of an observation because yeah. that's how I feel. There was a time when I was like, oh, nicotine, like not smoking, but I was like nicotine as a supplement. That, that really gets my juices flowing. And I was like, this sucks. You have another thing. When you're getting in the car, you're like, do I have my uh, nicotine toothpicks? It's it, like, that sucks. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, I just have coffee. I don't have many vices. Like I, um, I have coffee. I have, um, I guess like, if I don't, I, I take like really, really long walks. And if I don't take one in the day, I'm like a very grumpy person. Um, mm. Yeah, I'm so square. I'm ridiculously square. That's, I think that's wonderful. I Maybe it's because of the the feelings I get towards Elliot. When I listen to you, I'm like, I boy, I hope when you're happy, you don't worry that it's the last time. I have this almost like <laughs> dad instinct. I think it might be because I have a daughter. I'm like, I love this music and I feel that way sometimes. I'm a bubbling, jovial guy, but I understand. But it was one of those things that I wanted to talk about, investigate the sort of like, what it, what is your relationship to anxiety and, and depression? Only, not for a scoop, this isn't a clickbait show, because people are listening and people look up to people that find ways to do productive things with it. I think that even recognizing that thought and putting it in a song is tongue in cheek. Mm. Realizing that that's ridiculous. And, and I, <laughs> I say it all the time in interviews about, you know, like how every time I finish something, I'm like, well, hope you liked that. Cause that was your last good song. It's you've depleted all the creativity in your brain. It's just not mm. true. Like um, if I think about who I was obsessed with in high school and how I thought it was the end of the world, if I embarrassed myself or um, you know, unrequited love or whatever, it's like, I don't even know any of those people anymore. Like, so this is yoga. What you're saying, I don't mean stretching. I mean, this is mind control. I don't mean mind control. I mean, it's consciousness. It's mindfulness. People think mindfulness is maybe sitting and feeling the temperature of a room. That's a great mindfulness practice, but bringing awareness and consciousness and light and air and movement and flow to your thoughts with strategies that you're demonstrating, like, what was I worried about a year ago? Or just that whatever you're, I I was worried about something with my dad and I was like, I'm floating in infinity. And this little thing is worried that this other little thing called dad, that he calls dad, it might have this feeling when I don't even know that that's true. That's, that's real powerful medicine. I love that. Yeah. Well, I had this riff with my friend, Christian Lee Hudson, who's an incredible musician and I produced his solo record. Edit Um, that out. That came this year. <laughs> I'm just uh, kidding. You, you yeah, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> your sound. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> whenever somebody plugs something, I say edit that out. It's That's just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Christian Lee Hudson, brought to you by um, <laughs> Squarespace. Squarespace. Yeah. Um, drag and drop tools. Um, but he he uh, he. I was miserable. We 
we did this artist residency program at Eau Claire, which is like Justin Vernon and the Desner brothers, like cool. Like, yeah, it's like a, it's a festival after a week of like being surrounded by other artists. It's like the coolest thing ever, Mm. but I was going through some personal stuff and I was like, I was so miserable. And it, it was one of those things where it felt like the world was crumbling around me and I wasn't like going to wake up to the same world the next day and like had mm. pissed somebody off and was heartbroken and whatever. And, and we were walking down the street and it was a beautiful night. And he looked to me and he's like, I bet you can't wait to in two years, like talk about how this was the time of your life. Cause you don't remember like, cause oh. it's all resolved and you don't remember like these very real feelings of it being unresolved. And I do think about that as like the time of my life. Wow. You know? Right now, there are so many things that are unresolved that will, I'll be like, man, I really should have enjoyed quarantine when I, cause then yeah. that year, that one thing happened or whatever. It's just like all Perfection. your old problems are ridiculous. And all your current problems are tomorrow's old problems. So just look at them as old problems today. And this is yoga. I, <laughs> Val and I were just talking about this. So I'm a sound sensitive person. And we were staying somewhere where I could hear someone playing the drums. And I tried really hard to just get to the place where I could just be calm, not fake, not like let's put on a good old fashioned church face and pretend we're fine with it, but just be like, Pete, really what's wrong? And when you investigate your thinking, you're like, well, what if it never stops? (laughs) You're like, I'll probably play for like an hour. That seems about how long someone might practice the drums. And then later that day, I was sitting and reading a book in the same area and it was dead quiet. And I was like, why can't you see that the ebb and the flow and Val was liking it to a tree that she was watching that just kept getting blown this way and that. And she was like, the tree doesn't resist. She wasn't teaching me. She was just saying, I was looking at this tree and the way that it goes left and then it goes right. When it's left, it doesn't go things were better when I was center. And I on the quiet porch was like, don't you see it's sometimes loud and sometimes quiet. I know that seems like the most obvious thing in the world, but don't you see you're sometimes happy and sometimes sad that you're sometimes anxious and sometimes joyful. Can't you see that all of it is as ethereal and sand like and tissue paper on fire as anything. And that really investing yourself in that and thinking that that's your reality and the, the sum of it is so funny. We should be like, like, it's a joke. That's a joke. Like what you are letting rule your life is a flash on a camera. It's, it's gone. It's gone. My, um, my godfather, Steve Wicking, who is like, he's so smart and funny. He, he is like a, um, like an arts and culture writer or was for like most of my life in Seattle. And, uh, he he and my mom did mushrooms <laughs> and were walking down the street and there was like a rock in his shoe. And he was like, I think that if, I think this was internal and he'd like told us about it later because I don't think he shared it, but he was like, well, this is like just life. Like, like why it's just, a, it's just a little bit annoying. Like that, like I just need to like learn to like live around it and whatever. And then <laughs> And and it was like an hour of that. And then it was like, he took off his shoe and shook out the rock. And it was like, it was like the most like amazing experience of his like life. I just love that, that you're like, like taking it as like a bigger meaning when it's just like, that is, so, that is so me. I will do that. I'll be like, this is, just take off your shoe. 
I love that so much. It doesn't, oh my God. That does make it, have you've never done a psychedelic? This is not a gotcha question. <laughs> I have, I have, and I had a horrible time. I, or, well, that's not true. I like, um, I like MDMA a lot. Uh, it's funny that you say that because the, the revelation I had on MDMA was people don't have to be like me. So when I see, don't you see sometimes you're, it's loud and sometimes it's quiet. When you can really let that into your bones, it is profound. Like yeah. something so stupid, like sometimes it's loud. But sometimes. that's what I love about MDMA is like I've done mushrooms and had experiences like the rock experience or whatever, where I'm like thinking something stupid. Mm. And think, and in the moment, it's like crippling to me mentally. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm sober, I'm like, what was I on about? And MDMA makes you feel very simple things truly into your bones. Like, which I is why they do therapy and whatever. It's like, you can think about something traumatic and get through it. And you can also just like realize things that you should know, quote unquote, but for real. Like you, I, I remember those experiences and those thoughts forever. But for real is the perfect way to describe that drug. You you learn things, but for real, but for real. exactly what it feels like. Yeah, totally. you get, the idea is the sugar, and you're the iced tea, and it gets stirred completely into you. It's just yes. so like thinking people don't have to be like me. If you really ingested that wouldn't all your problems pretty much go away? All your day-to-day little ones, like this guy is too loud. This guy's playing the drums. People don't have to be like me. I wouldn't play the drums in a quiet place, uh, yeah. but he he's playing a drum. He doesn't have to be like me. It's what's happening. <laughs> and if you can take the rock out of your shoe, take the rock out of your shoe. That's at Cartole, like right down the plate, is that he goes, if if something is unpleasant, change the situation or accept it completely. I was like, those are sort of your choices. Yeah. You can't just be the like angry suburban dad in the grocery store line all the time. Like there's always going to be a grocery store line. There's always going to be traffic on the way from LAX. It's like how you handle that. That is, you know, makes the person. And also what you were going through emotionally at that festival of artists I have this where I I catch myself wanting to not be sad, stressed, anxious, or depressed. And then when I'm talking to a friend a little bit later about the problem, even when I'm talking to you, kind of alluding to a problem I was having, I come to life. And isn't that a funny expression? I come to life. Like that's life. Life is, I said this in one of my specials, you suffer and then you talk about it. You suffer and then you talk about it. And the talking about it is so rich because of the suffering. Yeah. I feel like things didn't happen unless I talk about it. Um, which is wild. Like, I just like, it, does that ever happen to you where you realize something's fucked up when you start, t- when you start telling a story and then you're like, Oh my God, like something oh, yeah. from your childhood or whatever, where you're like, Oh wow. This sounds like a movie of like a flawed childhood or whatever. (laughs) That's well, it's funny that you call it a movie because that's what's happening is you're having a depersonalization of something that just, that used to just be the sugar in the tea. And now it's becoming the sugar in the tea again. And that is what I would call therapy, artistic expression. It sounds like your relationship with your mom. Hopefully you have friends like that too, where you can talk about something so long that the sugar settles and it's at the bottom of the glass again. And you go, that's fucked up. It's my whole life. Totally. I think people will benefit though from hearing you specifically for for saying that. 
Is, is that like a thing? I, I have to imagine that with something as intimate as music, people really, you mentioned Billie Eilish, for example. I've seen, I think it was on Ellen, the videos where they're like, and she's actually right here. And, and people just start crying and freaking out. When you're doing music about pain and you're in, you're literally, you, you sound only exists once it's inside you. Isn't that sort of like a strange way to think about it? But it's happening. It, by the time you hear it, it's like a gunshot. It's too late. It's already in you. Yeah. Sound is in you. It happens in you. It often happens in headphones more and more. It's how we consume music. So are people, I'm sort of curious, and we're almost done. I, I don't want to take too much of your, of your day, but I'm curious how you're handling what has to be a pretty big success. Well, I, yeah, music is weird because um, it's so personal, especially the people close to me. Like I said about how my life is curated to be exactly what I want with the exact people that I'm obsessed with. It's like Connor Oberst and Matt, they connect with people in such a personal way. Cause like pop music or whatever is one thing. Um, and people are like obsessive fans, but when you write your diary and you're like about your trauma for everybody to hear and you say you want to kill yourself all the time in your music, you're literally invite inviting people to be like me too. Um, and it's really, it's just like, I don't know. I, I try to be as real with people as possible so that they come away with it with like a positive experience, but it's a lot of pressure to be like, this person is really putting a lot of stock in what I say right now. Mm-hmm. This. Um, it's the so John yeah. Lennon, like, I don't know if you saw that doc where the guy comes to where he lives and he's, uh, uh, I'm not trying to put these ideas out there. I'm just, it wasn't a violent visit. He was just like, you've been singing to me. Did, did you see that clip? And John Lennon's like, think about it. How could I be singing to you? It's like, I can't do it. But he's, he very lovingly is like, I know that's how it feels. That's how music feels to me as well. But yeah. I'm just a guy. <laughs> well, I think where it gets dark is like entitlement, obviously with John Lennon. It's like someone was entitled to what he was supposed to be to him. Mm-hmm. Like he wasn't living up to the perfect person that was invented inside someone's own imagination so he was killed for it mm-hmm. um it's like once people get entitled it's dark but for the most part i have like beautiful really deep dark interactions with people who are exactly like me you know mm-hmm. i uh i mean i write about it on my record where it's like everybody always talked about how sweet elliot was to his punishers like everybody's like, he was just an angel to talk to. Like, mm-hmm. and if he didn't want to talk, he'd be like, I'm really tired, man. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, just like b- b- treating everybody like a human being. Obviously if people have like weird delusions about you or whatever, like I, I was chased once by a guy who was yelling, I would never chase you. After <laughs> He was running <laughs> after me to my hotel and yelling, I would never chase you. That's a New Yorker cartoon. <laughs> I mean, it should be. Absolutely. It's got that. It's just, it's very uttered. It's very like, oh, isn't that just how life is? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. That, yeah, no, I'm glad to hear that. I'm not surprised. It feels like the whole world, I know the world is crazy, but in this small way, fans are evolving artists are evolving yes. and it's, it's nice to know 
that we don't have that John Lennon thing as much anymore because the walls are down. Yeah, totally. And people always talk about how like Madonna is supposed to be like a huge bitch or whatever to encounter. And I'm like, can you imagine being Madonna? Yeah. Can you imagine how many people have like come up to her or like just grabbed her or whatever? Like, it's like, I'd be, I'd be a bitch to every normal person. Cause she, she, the odds are stacked against you as a person coming up to Madonna, if you're going to be cool or not, like how many cool natural interactions has she had? Well, everybody listening to this podcast knows that I'm about to say this, but it only takes 30 seconds. Mulaney, when he did SNL, he wrote a sketch with Mick Jagger. And I was like, is Mick Jagger cool? And he was like, it's not that he's not cool. It's just that when people, he said he was cool, but he's very direct. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, look, if everyone in your life treats you like Alexa, he's like, are you polite to Alexa? You just say, Alexa, here, I'll make everybody's... Alexa, play Phoebe Bridgers. I just made you 15 cents. <laughs> Bette Midler. Oh, my God. <laughs> Have you ever... Oh, my... this That's too embarrassing. Wait, Alexa, stop. <laughs> Please. <Yeah>. Bette Midler. <laughs> Why did it think it was Bette Midler? Wait, it's still playing. Alexa, Stop. That is so funny. I fucked up your Alexa. <laughs> that is too good. <laughs> I'm offended, honestly. I feel like she should always think it's me. Yeah, Even- right? You should be able to pre-program it to say, there should be a thing where you can go into the app and say, when you say play me, I mean this. <laughs> <laughs> and then what you should do is a life bet is when you have people over back when the world is back and especially if it's someone you're trying to impress you walk in and go a play me and then it starts playing your album that's a story for life for that person i was on a date with a girl and we went back to my apartment and she was like like i like she heard the like little sound like we said something that set off it's cursed now we set off alexa (laughs) <laughs> and um, and uh, and she was like, "Oh my god! Like you have that on?" I was like, "Yeah." And she was like, "I got to get out of here. Like they're recording everything that we say." And I was like, "Uh, cool." Right? <laughs> <laughs> she didn't. I could and maybe she, understand she, unplugging it, but she left. She left. She was. She was like convinced. I mean, sure. She. She's probably like so right, but um. And there are like, there's a reply all episode about it, about how it like records you. Like it has all the times that it was ever triggered recorded. I wonder if reply all drops this pro tip, this unsolicited pro tip. Uh, Some people call it mansplaining, but I like an unsolicited pro tip. I'm just kidding. Um, It's called Jumbo. There's an app called Jumbo, which is just an all, all around security app. Mm -hmm. And one of the things it can do is dump your Alexa data every day. So, and it's free. I'm going to send it to that old date. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, oh, you're going to use it. And you're like, I'm going to send it to that old date because I don't really give a shit. No, I don't. What am I like? What is my NSA agent is so bored. Yeah. (laughs) Bored out of his mind all day. My NSA agent is like, he records all his conversations and releases them anyway. We don't also need to be re- listening 
for the every once in a while, he makes a joke that he asks Katie to edit out. (laughs) (laughs) Here's two super specific Phoebe Bridgers lyric questions. I was going to do this whole thing with you, but I I thought it was too obnoxious. But here's two. Do you not believe in dream analysis? (laughs) Oh, I kind of don't. Like, I don't. I think there are, uh, it's like astrology. I take what is meaningful to me. Like, the teeth falling out, obviously, it's so universal. People have decided it means anxiety, whatever. But my dreams are so weird. Like, my dreams are like if they made like a Jack Black style movie about my life, like what the joke dreams would be. It's like me messing up on stage or like there being no guitar strings on my guitar. Like, um, I just don't think I really resonate with it. Um, but I like talking about dreams, you know? I just don't yeah. like math of it like oh that means you're feeling this and it's actually i know what you mean i think astrology is perfect i don't but the it's sort of like you were saying about the photograph of the grape um and i like a dream where you're underwater and you see your friends and they're acting like nothing's wrong what's sort of funny about that lyric that you're like don't tell me what it means is like everyone knows what that means because usually and i don't mean they can articulate it I mean, we just know in the same way you can look at the ocean and go, I understand the universe. <laughs> you know what and I mean? That a weird meta part of, or the, the thesis of that song to me is exactly that, where it's like, you think you're having a singular experience that, and everybody resonates with that song. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, I've had those feelings. And the whole song is me being like, I'm the only person who's ever felt like this. It's so, so weird. But that's exactly, isn't that exactly what you kind of just said? Everyone has their teeth falling out. So aren't we sort of having a more interconnected experience than we'd like to imagine we are? So you can go out and accomplish songwriter and be like, I'm going to write the most personal. This is just me. This is just today. This is what happened. And if a hundred thousand people will be like, I've had that dream. I, or what, what, this is what. It's it's worth, that's what Freud and Young and all those guys did was going like, what's going on that we all, what's even going on that your brain is putting on a little show for you at the end of the day to understand reality anyway? Because it presupposes that understanding reality is important to the human animal. Like, that's insane. Yeah. Like, let's make sense of our feelings. Because yeah. <laughs> like, it hurts to not do that. That <laughs> makes sense. That's... That's helpful. When people are sort of saying like we live in a meaningless universe and I'm just like everything has like a utilitarian purpose. I'm like, that's a pretty weird problem to solve. Uh, but they might be right. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> what is what is an example when people are just so wrong, the opposite, when they're just wrong? I remember when Ben Gibber did the show, I think I told him what one of his songs meant to me. And he was like, that, then that's what it means. He's like, it doesn't matter what I meant. But like, do do people get that wrong a lot? Like wrong is a wrong word, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, people have like extrapolated on my feelings in a way that it was mind blowing to me where I'm like, oh, I think that is what I meant. Mm. Or like with motion sickness or something. Like, I don't think anybody's been like super, super wrong unless it was like a specific person or it's like, clearly it's about this. Mm -hmm. Like, like everybody thinks Kyoto is about a date and it's about my dad. Like hmm. everybody thinks it's about like a bad ex. Um, <laughs> so, so that's interesting. Um, but, but for the most part, it's like, Oh, well, motion sickness, like you're clearly like, you know, in like an abusive relationship and you're trying to like brush it off as funny. 
or whatever. And I'm like, it took me forever to figure that out. You know, like, like having the fact that I can show someone all my thoughts about something and they know more about it than me is, is a very fun part of my job. I couldn't agree more when people with this the podcast, they'll be like, you realize people pre and accurately diagnosed me with things that I had no idea. Totally. And they were like, you realize you're uh, whatever it might be. <laughs> I refuse to be vulnerable and say what it was. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It, it was probably something about being self-centered or narcissistic or something, which I'd like to think uh, I've worked on a little, at least a little bit. Um, the other one is, is um, not as le- it's not that leading. It's very direct. I just mean it this way. Did you see a hypnotherapist? Because I'd be interested. <laughs> I did. I did. I was a half hour late. It was in Santa Monica. He was $300 and it took a lot to not laugh. It was like weird snapping. And I'm, I'm like holistic. Like I see a, actually there's a lyric about a, a, someone who gave me a colonic on the record, uh, on the new record. Um, there's like many things that you mean on Punisher on Punisher yeah. on the new record. Uh, Edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> I love the lyric. I'm using it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so the, so the, so I'm definitely like into all that stuff. Love it. Think it works. It's great. Mindfulness. Uh, you know, I do yoga every day all about it, but the hypnotherapy was like, it, yeah, I'm like a perfect candidate to, uh, have it work on me, but it was so goofy and so weird. And I was like closing my eyes, literally just trying not to laugh the entire time. Oh my God. But, yeah. It was ridiculous. So forgive me for fanning out here, but so they gave you 1500 and it was 300. So they gave you 1500 for multiple sessions. And I, (laughs) I didn't go again. (laughs) So you made a profit. Yeah, I did. did. (laughs) Who forget it. I know I I made a point. I was like, I don't want to talk about any like, because I looked you up, I didn't know about any scandals or anything. So I just wanted to have a nice oh, yeah, scandals. <laughs> I know, I know. Unless you want to, but I, I wasn't even aware of that. And then I was like, I'm going to give Phoebe, oh, how how gracious of me. But I was like, it's not really that kind of show. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 funny in retrospect. Also, like, yeah, just the stupidest ever to give like a 20 year old girl 1500 bucks to see your like smoking hypnotherapist. I was like. <laughs> I was like, this is going on rent for sure. (laughs) I love that. Well, we're talking a little bit about woo-woo and we're towards the end here. We always talk about the woo-woo beliefs and and the way that people frame the universe on this show. So, and and manifesting is another thing I'd I'd love to hear more about if you have specific, uh, if specific things come up in regards to that. But what, what do you believe? Did were you raised religious is a nice place to start? Was not raised religious at all, but was raised uh, on lots of Harry Potter. And I think that's, that's, I I have this like songs come true theory. That's probably the most woo woo thing about me. Mm. Um, Again, with like curating my exact life. Like I definitely watched bright eyes when I was 15 and was like, someday I'm going to be in a band with him and he's going to like think I'm a great songwriter and I'm going to be a peer. And then it just happened. But with, with Connor and Justin Vernon and Matt, it was like all people that I grew up idolizing and then came into my life in, in such a like seamless 
order um, mm -hmm. or like violent femmes or whatever. Like I just got to do exactly what I wanted. And, uh, and so that makes me very woo woo and it makes me more careful with my thoughts and my songs and what I say. Well, that was sort of what I was getting at with, with keeping an eye on your heart. Like I know people, and frankly, I am a person that if I have a thought like, well, that's not going to happen, I'll stop. Like I'm pitching a TV show and I'm like, well, that probably won't happen. I'll go, I'll stop and I'll imagine myself giving an award speech, not just it happening, but I'll try and picture the, the and, and it's not even about the awards, although I've thought about the award speech because the award speech would be the best thing about an award is it means you get to keep doing this, that the work itself is the reward. And if you give me an award, people will know about the show. Um, and that's why I'm really grateful for this. So thank you. So when I picture them in a house that I, I'm really trying to not just put a bandaid over it, but I'm trying to, bury it under so much wet cement that I just replace it with positivity. It's you're nodding. So it sounds like you maybe are the same. Well, do you know what scripting is? Tell me everything. It's actually a thing in witchcraft. Uh, Tell me, forget it. I have to leave the meeting. Uh, <laughs> Darren, uh, if you're not asleep, take over, please. No, go ahead. I, I'm so into this. So it's when you write a journal entry as someone with the things that you are asking yeah. for, which I love because it makes you think of all the minute stuff about it. It's not just like, I want a million dollars. Right. Like, why did you get a million dollars? And what realistically is the person at the other end of that? Um, so I'll do it if I like, if I have to even have to have a hard conversation with someone, I'm like, I'm like, well, we talked about this, this, and this. He hit me back with something that hurt my feelings, but then I said this, and then the conversation goes great. You know, wow. it's just like it's like solidifying what you hope happens. I'm um, not surprised at all. And it's funny <laughs> that's sort of a a T. Robs Tony Robbins thing where he's like, "Don't just ask for a million dollars. Really investigate why." And then often people are like, "Well, then I could fish all day." And he's like, "Well, you don't need a million dollars." to be a fisherman in like this part of the car or whatever it is like some investigation. And it's also, I'm sure you've heard this. It's the secret. The, I, I don't know exactly that much about the secret, but it's like, they're like, don't just think you want a car or a, a new um, apartment. Really imagine what it looks like, what it feels to live there. And there is something very activating about that. And totally. I'm so happy that, so when you script, uh, when did you start doing that sort of thing? What's, what's the earliest kind of occurrence? I just, I'm distracted because I just watched Office Space and I love the, what would you do with a million dollars? And he's like, two chicks at once. <laughs> <laughs> two chicks at once. <laughs> so good. But yeah. um, I probably when I was a teenager, you know, like, well, probably earlier than that, actually, like 10 years old, thinking I have like superpowers and I don't know to be embarrassed of it yet. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, just all the time. And then when I realized what it was, it was only like a couple of years ago. Um, mm. And uh, and I love that. It's like, also, there's something so comforting about having a journal that nobody can read. Like, my spelling is atrocious. It's mm. like, it's just like this weird safe place where I can be like as corny and as woo woo as I want. And it's like, 
But if the, if the nervous system doesn't know the difference, this is why trauma is so tricky. Like when you revisit a trauma, your body sort of responds as if it's happening. This is what's going on in dreams as well. So the brain, just to take some of the woo out of it, is so reality building that it can't stop even building miniature realities inside of the brain that it's in the reality that it's building, right? Yeah. So like you give it a trauma and it and it elevates your heart rate. I tell you to really vividly picture licking a lemon and your and your tongue, uh, you know, you salivate. So if you're thinking about a conversation, I love that. I'm gonna try that, a conversation going really well. And you know, they really surprised me. Uh, that they were patient and they heard me out. Yeah. Isn't that a mini rehearsal? And I, I'm going to say it is, uh, you know, nervous system wise, it's a rehearsal as if you've been there before, which I think again speaks to you and I both. I was a famous comedian when I was 12 years old. Like I just was, <laughs> of course you were. And isn't that the same fucking thing? And isn't that your brain when it then happens that you meet these heroes that you're you you've almost you've ingested it already. Totally. I, I love that yours is Matt. When I got divorced, Boxer was a huge album for me. And that was one of those ones that just like, and then it happened. And Glenn Hansard and Once was a big thing for me. Oh yeah. And to have these things come back, I we've just had a lot of that same experience where I was like, they get written on your heart. And if you're in flow and careful. I don't want to say careful. That makes it sound like you earned it. But if you're in flow, I feel like these things can come back in a really great way. Yeah, absolutely. What about gods, goddesses, nothings? I, I have a I have a song on the record about it, about how bad I wish I could make the leap. I just can't do it. Like I have religious friends um, and like to go to sleep knowing that like somebody loves you and that like everything's going to be fine. Or like, even if it's not fine with you, it's fine somewhere in the world. And like someone has a handle on it. That sounds so nice. And I just can't, I just can't do it. Like when, yeah, my last, my last shred of hope was probably turning 11 and not getting my Harry Potter letter. And I was like, there's no God. You wanted a letter from Harry Potter? (laughs) Yeah. I wanted my Hogwarts acceptance letter. Oh, (laughs) and you don't have to go to school anymore because you're special. Um, I would just love something that easy. Same with aliens and conspiracy theories and stuff. It's like, I, I want ghosts too badly. Like I want magic too badly. The closest I get is like manifesting and, and believing in like, some weird connectivity of the universe that I can't even begin to understand. There's something kind of relaxing in that, but, um, but I wish it could be attached to like some sort of institution or something. It sounds nice to have a community of people who like believe in the same thing. Yeah. I hear that. You know, who was it? Oh, it was Richard Rohr. Who's a Franciscan who turned me on to the idea that stories like Harry Potter really are very powerful allegories for basically the same spiritual I'm in a room, I'm at a friend's house and he has a beautiful Buddha over there. There's a Hanuman and a Christ and all these things. So all of these images are kind of pointed the same thing uh, or a similar thing as Harry Potter, meaning Harry Potter, like in every fairy tale realizes that he's from Royal blood. I mean, you've seen this and it's everything. It's Cinderella. It's everything. And that, and I'm almost done. I'm not even trying to convince you. I'm just trying to say you already sort of have something in your love of Harry Potter. 
is that the feeling that there's something special about you, which all children have, is an intuition that if God or it or the mystery is the ocean, that there's a drop of that ocean in you. So that's royal blood. That's why we can't stop telling the story that Harry finds out he's special because that's what enlightenment is. That's what salvation is. And that's what waking up is, is going, wait, how could it be separate? I am this. I am all that is. It doesn't mean you're a deity up on a cloud, but you are an, an inherent part of, all, of everything. That's the story of Harry Potter. That could be your mythology. Yeah. <laughs> I love this. I am Harry Potter. And you, and there are groups. <laughs> no. your, your audio, I got such a big laugh and the audio dropped. I'm back where you were when you wished I had. Oh, no. We need, we need some wild sounds of laughing. And what, and, and do you think there's a possibility of something after death or is it just lights out? Anything's fine. I think there's a totally a possibility, very open to it, but I don't find myself obsessing as much as a lot of the people I care about in my life. Like I don't obsess about, I obsess about serial killers and I obsess about like things that are horrifying in life, Mm. but I don't really, I'm not really afraid of death and I'm not really afraid of dying. It seems, feels like a knock on wood thing to say even, but like, it's not, my intrusive thoughts are not about that. It's like, it's much more waking worries. Um, And like, I'm just kind of not really worried about it. Like, I'm just like, I I don't really think too far ahead even. I'm like, don't know about a family. Don't know about settling down or even like who I want to date next. It's just like, yeah, I can't wait to go on tour. That's like, that's my faith. It's like, I can't wait to live my life. (laughs) I mean, people have talked about you as an old soul and and there is something even though I can see your ability to fly the kite into the black hole, as I like to say, to explore the neuroses, there's definitely something very settled and just like, sure. why, why worried about that? I'm just so glad because I, I, I love your work so much. I'm just glad that you're here to enjoy it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm glad I, I'm glad I am here too. <laughs> That's wonderful because we talk about heavy stuff. This is the final thing and we'll get out of here. Um, I always like to ask people, if they can remember the time they laughed the hardest in their life. But if that's too much pressure, you can just no, tell me I, time. I know. Oh, she's got it. She's got it. I was singing um, Everything is Free, with, uh, which is a Gillian Welsh song with Marshall, my drummer. And um, we're best friends. And we, but like we have this really, it's like hard to hug each other. It's hard to be sincere. It's you like and Marshall? Close. Yeah, we're that close where it's just like, you know, like, I don't know. He's, he's very, he's kind of like a feral cat with like his affection. Like he'll just leave the room if it gets too sincere. So we were, but he has this like beautiful voice. His, his voice is all over my records. He sounds a lot like me. I think maybe it's cause I literally like taught him. Can on a string. No, that's Connor. Um, oh. But, but Marshall is on Scott street. I think he's on, um, uh, ICU. He's like he like he sounds like the, just the male me. It's oh, and so, so I use him constantly because it's like it's like uh, it's just the perfect person to harmonize with. And we so the whole band leaves the stage and we do this song that's like one of my favorite songs about streaming. Everything is free now, like, <laughs> but we're gonna do it anyway, even if it doesn't pay. It's like the best song. It's the coolest like country song about you know Napster. Uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> So we'd sing it every night. The band leaves the stage and like all the lights go out except for the spotlight on us and we share a microphone. 
and we had nailed it where we were like staring kind of into the middle distance, <laughs> um, not looking at each other. We'd done it hundreds of times at this point. And then one night in Seattle, we just like, like accidentally kind of like caught each other's eye as we were sharing a mic and I started laughing and he started laughing and then it was like song stopped. Okay. Ha ha ha. Audience thinks it's hilarious. And I was <laughs> we're not even stoned. We just like looked at each other. Then we try to sing it again. And then it's like, <laughs> and then stops completely. <laughs> it happens like five more times oh to where there's like, there's like 15 videos of this on YouTube or whatever, because of how people had plenty of time to get the cameras out. Yes. Yeah. It's just like church giggles. Like it's like you're not supposed to laugh. That's it. And That's all it. you do is laugh. And um and I made him leave the stage and like finished it by myself after like three minutes of trying to get it back. It was so and now that song is like retired. Like we can't do it. Oh my it God. That is first of all, church laughs is such a huge percentage of these because you need those stakes. Yes. And that is a fantastic one. And part of me thought you were going to pull someone out from the audience and that would be, and that was Billie <laughs> Eilish. I should <laughs> Because that's the only way people make it in music these days. You got pulled out of an audience. She got yeah. pulled, everybody's just pulled out of audience. Hey, you look like you have a nice voice. Phoebe, <laughs> <laughs> this was so fun. I so sincerely hope I get to come see you play live oh, soon. Yeah. If you're in LA, you got to come do Largo. Uh, because we always have a musical guest and, and that's been so fun. But yes. what I'm saying is I hope to see you again because this was so yeah, great. Yeah, it's so fun. Thank you for your work too. It's It's been so helpful in the quarantine. So, I mean, really good. Thanks, uh, of course, we end with the, with the guest saying the catchphrase, which is keep it crispy. Uh, if you don't mind, do you want to say keep it crispy? <laughs> Absolutely. Keep it crispy, y'all. <laughs> y'all? <laughs> Clean. It's clean. You have a clean one. Keep no, that was that was fine. It's with the y'all. The y'all one stays. The y'all one stays. Thank you, Phoebe. Stay, stay safe. Can't wait to see you live. Yeah, same. Okay. Bye, bye. Thank you. Bye.